You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. This week I am talking to one of my favourites, Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. Based just close to me in Denver, which is wonderful because it means that I can go and see those guys every now and then. And they are a fabulous, fabulous team of women who are changing the way that we um, treat eating disorders medically, I think. Anyway, so I feel very honored that I get to um, speak to Jennifer Gaudiani on a regular basis. And today we're going to talk about bones. So let's get right into it. The first thing I asked Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani was actually on the topic of bones, where the heck are we going to start? Here's Dr. Gaudiani. Ooh, there's so many good places to start with bones. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about how bone density gets established and when. And then let's talk about the impact that malnutrition can have on bone development and bone health. So in our adolescence, between the ages of about 10 and 20, we put down the majority of the mineralization of our skeleton. That's when our bones get hard and gain all of the strength that they need to take us through the rest of our lives. Subsequent to age 20, in the majority of people, bone continues to do what's called remodeling over time. So it forms a little bone, it resorbs a little bone, it forms a little bone, it resorbs a little bone. But the majority of actually getting that skeleton strong to go the distance happens during adolescence. If during one's adolescence, one is not eating enough and one does not have sex hormones, that process can get disrupted. And normally, as you know, I talk about eating disorders across the entire spectrum of body shape and size and type of eating disorder. When we're talking about bone density problems, for the most part, we're talking about classic anorexia nervosa, which comes with a significantly lower weight. So I just want to make that clear. Uh, and there, there are scientific reasons, of course, why this is true. So for the most part, in this talk, I'm going to be talking about anorexia nervosa related bone density problems. Okay, so let's say that we have an adolescent who is 16 years old. I've got a teenager. And let's say it's a young woman who started her period at age 13 and her periods have been pretty regular and now she's started to restrict calories, her weight started to fall and her periods disappeared. We know what happens in the brain is that my favorite concept, the cave person brain, says let's turn all the sex hormones off because we're trying to conserve calories to save our mammal. Let's make sure that there's very little sex drive, there's very little menstrual blood loss as a body resource, and there's no ability or reduced ability to get pregnant because this body is not safe to sustain a pregnancy. Well, it turns out that a few things happen as a result of this starvation and sex hormone loss. And we're going to talk about males as well here. 
we'll pause for a moment and think about what happens when people expect to start losing bone density when they're in their 60s. And, you know, if it's a woman that she's postmenopausal, because she has no estrogen anymore, her bones resorb more of the calcium. That is, they, they take the density out of the bone and sort of bring it into the blood. So the, there's leech, a, a leaching process going on. However, she's a well-nourished postmenopausal woman, and so her bone can still form. It's just that there's a slow process of leaching of the bone density over time, so very slowly she begins to develop a higher risk for fracture. In malnutrition, we have no estrogen if we're talking about a female. And so just like with the postmenopausal woman, that leaching process happens and the bone density starts to be absorbed out. But in addition, she's starved, she's stressed, her cortisol levels are high, and there are a number of other hormonal factors that kick in and she doesn't make bone. So not only is she not making bone, she's resorbing it, and therefore the bone density loss in anorexia nervosa can be catastrophically fast. And if we're talking about a 16-year-old, she is in the heartland of when her body wants to be putting down the skeleton that's going to take her the rest of her life. She may never have the chance to mineralize her skeleton properly. And even if she's recovered by age 20 or 21 or 22, she may never have a chance to mineralize her skeleton. And then she's just got to go with what she's got for the rest of her life. If it's a person who's developed their eating disorder, say at age 25 or 30, then they may have fortunately mineralized their skeleton during those key years but they can still have the quote-unquote bones of a 75-year-old within a year or two of their illness. It happens fast. Wow. Malnutrition's a big deal. Turns out <laughs> it's not good for you but yeah. in so many ways. So when we think about young men, men in general, with anorexia nervosa, because of course we mustn't leave them out. There's a similar process whereby testosterone gets turned off by the cave person brain and they too have no sex hormones. If a male gets anorexia nervosa while he's in his adolescent years, he too will fail to mineralize his skeleton. And if it's later on, that lack of testosterone plus malnutrition stressors can once again make him lose bone really fast. Only he's at a further disadvantage because he doesn't have a period to trigger his doctor to think that there might be something wrong with his bones. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. In young men, my experience is that they're often missed. The doctors don't think because it's not a female, and because there's not a period being missed, to check that bone density. And as a result, I've seen guys who've gone 10, 15 years with significant malnutrition before they came to treatment and had this suggested, and then they really may have 80-year-old bones. The question then is, what's, what's wrong with bone density loss? What's the big deal? Why do we care? 
And the answer is that people have a significantly higher fracture risk with bone density loss. And a lot of my younger patients have a little bit of a ho-hum feeling about that, like, okay, Dr. G, so I won't trip over the cat and break my hip. Mm -hmm. Fine, no problem. And what I remind my patients is that our spine is a set of little building blocks stacked on top of each other. When we're standing or sitting, anything but lying, those are opposing gravity. That is, those nice building blocks stand sturdily upon each other. But if you start to get bone density loss, just the act of living, just the act of being a column in gravity can start to compress those weakened bones down. And they don't compress universally and equally. They tend to compress forward so that a person can develop a permanently kyphotic or hunched forward upper back. And no amount of yoga poses fixes that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yes, I would know. Is that right? Yeah, um, I, I do have that, especially in my low back, I have, um, what, what, what did my chiropractor say? He, like, for my age, it shouldn't be that compressed and oh, you know, which wow. is, but it also yeah. could have been a lot worse so <laughs> I, I I count myself as very lucky but yeah and I Thank know goodness. I know what you're saying that as well about the younger patients and I know that when I was in my early 20s my doctor could have said that to me I'm worried about your bone density and I would have been like Meh. um the other thing that you probably get told and the thing that I used to say to my doctor was well fine I'll just take a calcium supplement and I'll be all right hmm. yeah that's right it's so easy for the eating disorder to try to minimize the severity of medical problems, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Let's turn, in fact, to management because your point is really well made because calcium supplements ain't going to cut it. <laughs> Maybe before we, we go there, let's define what we mean by different grades of bone density loss because that can be really confusing and unfortunately the radiology system that establishes what defines what degree of bone density loss can be profoundly invalidating and misleading if you're just holding a report of your bone density scan in your hands and seeing the word normal at the bottom. So let's take a second and define degrees of bone density loss and let's really then dig into treatment options because there's a lot right. out there. And we're also going to talk about exercise and the role of exercise in bone density loss. When somebody under 50 years old gets a bone density scan, and let's say we're not talking about children, let's say that we're talking about, you know, kind of 20 to 50 year olds for the most part, the report should always be read as a Z score. And I know that because this gets into the weeds and you're like, why do I care? It's because there are patients and families out there right now holding a DEXA scan and saying, nobody else was an expert for me. I'm going to need to use Tabitha here. So that's why we're <laughs> well, going to give this I level hope, of, I of hope uh, expertise. I hope they'll use you. <laughs> By our powers combined. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Z score is the appropriate score to read if somebody's between 20 and 50. In such a young person, a Z score of less than negative two, the awkward scoring system, defines low bone density for age. 
That's all they'll say. Low bone density for age. If a young person has another cause for bone density loss, which in my mind includes anorexia nervosa, or they have a fracture that's what's called non-traumatic. That is, it's not that you had a terrible ski accident, it's that you fell off the curb, landed wrong, and broke your foot. Um, then that, together with a bone density of less than negative two, equals osteoporosis in a young person. In a young person between 20 and 50, officially, there's no such thing as osteopenia, which is the sort of interim bone density loss that is diagnosed in people over 50. And I got this wrong for years. All the years I was at acute, I was diagnosing osteopenia when it's not officially a diagnosis in somebody younger than 50. I know, it's, it's, it's surprising. Um, and it's a tool that we lose, unfortunately. Um, but that leaves every single young person from 20 to 50 years old who has a bone density scan that comes back at, you know, negative 1.5 reading normal on their report. Even if that bone density may reflect a significant skeletal mass loss directly as a cause of the anorexia. So what I'd like to say is that a bone density score in a young person, 20 to 50, that's better than negative one might not need treatment. That's negative one, that's not negative two. However, if it's a really serious athlete, then anything in the negative column at all is abnormal because an athlete uses their bones and when bones are exposed to what's called weight loading exercise, they get the message, ooh, we gotta get stronger and they actually get denser and thicker. A pitcher's arm in baseball has a much thicker bone density than his non-pitching arm, for instance. So in an athlete, and I'm not talking about an Olympian, I'm talking about a kid who plays sports or a young person who's engaged in sport, they should have a positive number bone density. And anything in the negative column says you have lost bone as a result of an imbalance between your energy intake and your energy expenditure. But the problem is everybody reads that report and goes, oh, I'm normal. Ha ha, knew it. You've got to be able to interpret it in the right patient context. Now, let's take somebody who's over 50, because we know that people over 50 deal with eating disorders as well. In that case, we use a T-score for people over 50, and that's the more familiar scoring system, where anything above negative one is normal. Anything between negative one and negative two and a half is called osteopenia, and anything lower than negative two and a half is osteoporosis. So now we've sort of set the scene, basically. And I'll say that um, studies have shown that in adolescent girls, even before the bone density scan shows any abnormality, their fracture risk increases substantially even just one year into their anorexia nervosa. And again, you know, you're young, you think, well, a fracture, whatever. But if you're an athlete, that could sideline you for a whole season. 
you know, much less if you just want to not be in pain and not have to deal with the recovery process. Okay, so treatment. First of all, getting adequate calcium and vitamin D is reasonable. There aren't specific levels set out that clearly are going to help bone density loss in an eating disorder, though. It's just a reasonable building block to have around. The official levels for vitamin D OH levels that you check in the blood should be between 20 and 30. Some people like them higher than that. That's fine. If they get higher than 70 or 80, one runs the risk of liver toxicity. And so, you know, as long as my patients are above 20, I'm okay with it. I have seen patients with toxicity, though. And probably the vitamin D OH level could be checked once a year. Um, and vitamin D tablets uh, are a great source of supplement. It's not unreasonable to take one or 2,000 mm -hmm. international units a day, especially in the winter mm -hmm. if you're not getting sunshine. Um, as far as calcium, my, my theory is always that dietary sources are best. Dairy and other natural sources of calcium are terrific. If for some reason one cannot get that in, then, you know, 1,000 or 1,200 milligrams of calcium a day is reasonable. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's just a building block. Um, some people like calcium citrate best. I clearly own no stock in any of these products. Um, <laughs> none, I, none of the products, in fact, that I'm going to be discussing. And I don't get taken out to steak dinners by any drug reps. So anything <laughs> I discuss here <laughs> is going to be because it feels like it's the best evidence-based thing to do. Um, so uh, calcium is reasonable. Um, taking too much calcium can contribute to kidney stones. Calcium also sometimes constipates people. Mm. So, you know, don't take more supplemental calcium than you need. Then we sort of take the next step forward. And there's some really exciting research on this that is cutting edge both for athletes and for patients with anorexia nervosa. The cutting edge research says that if you have a premenopausal woman who's cave person brain has stopped telling her to make estrogen and we measure that through an estradiol level and the, the lack of a period on a regular basis mm -hmm. is also a diagnosis and she has bone density loss we've got a new evidence-based treatment that looks really exciting and that is patch estrogen at a very low dose So why patch versus pill? First of all, the pill does not protect your bones. If people take one thing away from this talk, the pill does not protect your bones. Unfortunately, I wish it did. Right. All of the studies have shown it didn't, and yet OBGYNs, who are very well-meaning, and doctors continue to prescribe it inappropriately. Right. However, patch estrogen seems to absorb in a certain way that and be metabolized in the body in a certain way, that it's effective. What is it effective at? Well, studies of adolescent girls with anorexia nervosa have shown that when they use patch estrogen by comparison with a placebo, well, that is something without medicine in it, when they have decreased bone density and no period, their bones do better at the end of the study time, but that they've lost 
they've lost less bone density than the people who had the placebo. And the idea behind this is, of course, the gold standard for getting better in your bones, as better as you can get, is to fully restore weight until for females, period comes back. And often, because as we've talked about with periods, (laughs) periods can come back at any stage, but it's until full weight restoration, including many months after the first period comes back and someone who happens to get their period back at a very low body weight. Um, The idea is you use patch estrogen to bridge the person to that recovery period. Because every single day that you're underweight, you're losing bone density. So how can we stem the loss? And the answer is patch estrogen. Vivelle is the one that I use. Um, I use Vivelle 100. Patients apply it twice a week, Sunday and Wednesday. It's always on. But you can't just give someone pure estrogen and that's it. Or their uterus lining will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and run the risk of turning cancerous. Don't like that. So... 10 days out of the month, the way that the study was designed, you give medroxyprogesterone 10 milligrams, which is a pill. Everybody makes progesterone naturally. This is something that's, that's natural. And you take it in the evening because it can make you a little drowsy. And 10 days a month, you take medroxyprogesterone. Sometimes it'll give you a period. Sometimes it won't, depending on what else is going on. But it always protects the uterus from cancer. Patch estrogen is not birth control. It does not work to prevent pregnancy. So let's imagine that somebody hasn't had a period in six months. They think there's no way they could get pregnant. They can, as we've liked to say before, eggs happen. And so this patch estrogen is not birth control. But not only is this validated in an adolescent population who has no periods and who has um, uh, bone density loss, it's also getting validated in elite athletes. This is really exciting because in the absence of an eating disorder, there's something called the relative energy deficiency of sport, or REDS, R-E-D-S, which replaces the old female athlete triad as being a much more 360-degree, inclusive, scientifically accurate measure of all the things that happen to someone in every organ system, physically and psychologically, when they're not getting in enough energy and they're putting out too much energy with their body. And uh, in athletes, it's looking like patch estrogen plus medroxyprogesterone helps their bones when they don't have an eating disorder. Um, Even more interesting, perhaps, is that athletes who are on the patch have been found to have better cognitive testing than athletes who have a lack of periods and bone density loss who aren't on the patch. So somehow this little low dose of patch estrogen not only helps the bone, but sort of helps the whole because it's more naturally mimicking what somebody would have if their energy balance were proper. And it's not for athletes like say, um, oh, great, you have the patch. That's all you need. No. You still work to get into energy balance so that natural systems kick back in. So for any of my young female patients below 50 who have no period, low bone density, depending on the person that could be below negative one or it could just be negative anything, 
I start them on the Vivelle patch and the Droxyprogesterone. There are other alternatives, um, but all of them have considerable side effects, and you just have to be aware of them. It's a, it's a thoughtful decision. Unfortunately, this is not a situation where there's a great solution, it's got no negatives and all positives. This is a pretty nuanced mm. discussion. So for some people who have osteoporosis, um, let's say their period's back. You know, let's say that they're, um, they've, they've achieved their body weight and their period's back, but they still have significantly low bone density. One option is to use a class of medicines called the bisphosphonates, like oftentimes postmenopausal women use. That's Fosamax or Alendronate, Resedronate. It's all the donates, donates. <laughs> And those are once a week medicines taken by mouth. In the moment, they have very few side effects, a little reflux maybe. Uh, you take it once a week on an empty stomach in the morning. Um, very rarely, if you've had a lot of dental work done, it can cause uh, necrosis of the bone in the jaw. Right. I've seen a couple of patients with that. Um, but it's well tolerated and it's and it's effective and it's an anti-resorptive. So it keeps the body from sucking back right. the bone density out. Got it. Problem is, in women of childbearing age, this whole class of medicine stays in your system a long time, far longer than when you're actually taking it. It crosses the placenta, and animal studies have shown fetal harm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Human observational studies, of course, no one's doing randomized controlled trials, have looked promising. That is, where a woman has needed for medical urgency reasons to be on this class of medicines, even while pregnant, she and the baby, and then the baby as it turned into a child, all looked fine. Fabulous. So that's good news. Mm. Good news. So if it has to be, it has to be. And, you know, I think Practitioners feel a different range of comfort in prescribing bisphosphonates for women of childbearing age. And I think it's just a, it's a conversation. If I have a 27-year-old nurse who's engaged and can't wait to get pregnant and is really motivated in her treatment and is moving straight forward ahead, I'm not going to put her on a bisphosphonate. I'm just not. These days, because we didn't have this option before, I'm going to put her on patch estrogen, mm -hmm. if anything. If I've got an 18-year-old who's never been sexually active, has been sick in her eating disorder a long time, and has truly dreadful bone density, in addition to patch estrogen, I might consider. Right. Case uh, by case. Case by case. Yeah. There's also a daily injectable called Forteo that builds bone. It's showing like it's probably two to four times better than the class of bisphosphonates. And that's pretty fabulous, except that insurance, you just have to wrangle them to get right. them to cover it. Right. And a daily injection Oof. is burdensome. And it's just incredibly expensive if insurance doesn't cover it. And after two years of taking Forteo, you've got to go on a bisphosphonate anyway, or you lose the benefit. <laughs> so, so there's that. And there's also a black box warning on Forteo that they found that when they gave rats 60 times a human-like dose, some of the rats developed cancer because Forteo is a bone-building medicine. To date, the literature shows there are no human cases of bone cancer from Forteo, but it's out there, mm -hmm. and patients will keep that information, and they'll want to know what the story is. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the state of the art at the moment for female treatment. 
Um, there are some other things coming up. Prolia is one of them. Uh, there's just a number of things that are sort of on the horizon but aren't evidence-based yet. Yeah. For males, the treatment is testosterone. And this is really, really interesting because it turns out that testosterone, usually applied on the skin daily, is it acts in the same way as the class of bisphosphonates. It prevents bone resorption. So if I have a male, and I'll tell you the one caveat on whom I can't use this in, if I have a male who has anorexia nervosa, bone density loss, and he has low testosterone levels, defined as testosterone of less than typically 200 on two different occasions, two weeks apart in the morning. Thank you for giving us the hoops to jump through insurance. Um, then I will prescribe him topical testosterone. And the, the nicest, easiest version of that is a pretty little patch. Um, oftentimes it's more expensive. So insurance says, no, you've got to use a gel and smear it into your skin. And okay, all right, if you must. Um, that testosterone does a couple of things. One, it protects his bones and it may, may take the edge off. Two, it may just give his brain the boost that's good because you've got a sex hormone going on. And three, it brings back sexual function. That's not always welcome. And so I've got to talk to my guys about whether return of sex drive and sexual function is acceptable. Is that scary? Is it safe? And make sure that I'm clear about the consequences of treatment. As with estrogen treatment for females, in males, you only treat until you expect their natural testosterone to be turned back on. So, you know, you get them into what seems like an appropriate weight range, maintain that for a bit, take them off the prescription hormone and see if their natural body kicks in. You can't use testosterone in guys who haven't finished growing. And we have to remember that anorexia, if acquired during adolescence, will stop linear growth for the same reason that the cave person brain wants to conserve calories in all of the other ways. A guy who is 18 years old might have a bone age of a 15-year-old. And you can actually check that by just doing a simple x-ray of his hand. And you can see how close the mineralization has come to the end of the digit and give him a bone age. Once a male's growth plates are closed and he's finished linear growth, you can use testosterone for his bones. Okay, wow. But before that, if you give him testosterone... You're going to slam his growth plates shut and he's never going to grow again. Wow. So. Actually, just this, this whole half hour, I've been sitting here listening to this and it's just like, wow, this is so in-depth. And you just have all this knowledge in your brain at your fingertips because this is what you do. You, you know this stuff. And it just strikes me as to how important that is because there's so much. And I just think that specialization, doctors who specialize in treating eating disorders is, as you do is so needed because how how could just a doctor who spends probably 98 percent of their time um, treating people for non-eating disorder things have all of this information as well as all of the things that they yes i'm grateful for this specialization and love my patients so much and a lot of the information that other doctors have i no longer have in my brain <laughs> because this is what i do day in and day out do we have time to finish with just a quick thing about exercise? Oh, we've got plenty of time, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, thank you so much. Many of my patients have come to me and said, Dr. Gaudiani, the reason that I run X number of miles a day or a week is because it's good for my bones. I would have said that. 
<laughs> of course, of course you would have. And the answer is that weight loading exercise is great for my bones and yours now as beautifully nourished people. But a very helpful study out of Canada from 2011 showed that, and this was in young women, unfortunately males were excluded, so were older women. In young women who were doing even moderate exercise while they remained underweight and amenorrheic without periods, their bone density worsened faster than the ones who didn't do that. And they included pacing in moderate exercise. Fortunately, for the once and future athlete heroes amongst us, once patients were fully weight restored, even intense exercise helped their bone density. Right. We have to remember that bone density loss is one of the only medical problems of anorexia nervosa that may not fully normalize with eating disorder recovery. Mm. So it's quite a significant thing. And I used to conclude, based on that study, in the hubris of being a young doctor, that exercise is a privilege of full recovery. And now I would like to think that I'm a little more humble and a little wiser, maybe, because I now know that exercise or movement makes recovery sustainable. So in my outpatient practice, if I've got a patient who's an athlete, who's very motivated, engaged with their therapist and their dietitian, able to not purge, to eat appropriately, I reintroduce movement as early as possible and continue within mindful bounds to escalate it over the course of treatment because it is joyful to experience your body in nature if that's one of the things your body does well. What about if someone had a compulsive movement problems? It's case by case too. I try not to make absolutes. Right. It's difficult. Because they always backbite me. (laughs) Yeah. If somebody says to me, in all honesty, Dr. G, there's no way I can do any kind of movement right now without counting or wanting to escalate, then I say, okay, great. This is going to be a rest time. But if somebody says, it's worth it to me to be allowed to take a 30-minute walk twice a week, it's worth it to me. Then I say, okay. And process through how that felt with your therapist, please, since I am a simple internist. And, <laughs> um, and let's, let's see how it feels. And if they said, you know, 30 became 45, became a run, became a whatever, then we say, all right, you're not ready yet. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. But I try to reintroduce it because that's the life they're going back Absolutely. to. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, for someone who was a very compulsive exerciser, and I always say, I had to stop in order to fully recover and mm-hmm. rewire my brain and unlink food and exercise in my brain. And so that, you know, they were independent and that I could eat without having done exercise. I had to stop. And that's true for a lot of people as well. But that doesn't mean that I can't exercise for the rest of my life. Like, that's not the point. It, movement is joyful. And I love to walk my dogs and ride my horses mm. and do things like that. So it's like, that's the whole point of getting that full recovery is that you can start to do things that are healthy and you really enjoy because you enjoy them, not because you feel that you have to. I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, it, it takes a trusting relationship with your team mm. to be able to say, despite the demands of the eating disorder, I need a break. I can't do this safely. Yeah. 
yeah, that's the part that I think is the biggest struggle for people to be able to say that. And, um, yeah. Yeah. To, to, and also to even just kind of like, as you said, when they recognize, you know what, I went for that 30 minute walk and it felt like I had to do it again the next day. And it just made my head busy. And it's really difficult to admit that stuff. But I think that in admitting it, you're, you're really realizing, okay, I have to stop right now. That doesn't mean forever. And I'm stopping so that it can be just mm. joyful and not compulsive. That's right. The whole point of recovery is to be in the privileged position of being able to live your values. And if that means you've got to postpone some and pause some to get there, then that's what you have to do. Well, I think the first thing that I need to say there uh, after this conversation is that while ignorance is a bliss, it really shouldn't have been. Um, from my personal experience, I knew when I had anorexia, I knew I was over-exercising. I knew I was under-eating. I knew that if I went to the doctor too often, that she would probably try and stop me. And um, Or maybe I was scared of that because actually, frankly, the doctor never did tell me to stop exercising and rarely even sort of told me to eat more, even when I was presenting very underweight. So, But my, my perception was that if I went and talked to anybody about my health, that they would tell me that there was something wrong with my health and that I had to change the things that I was doing. And I was scared of that, so I didn't go to the doctor very often. And that allowed me to muddle on for years in this blissful state of ignorance. And um, I really wish I hadn't been able to do that, actually. I, I wish that somebody had been able to tell me the things that Dr. Gaudiani has just told me now about how malnutrition affects our bones, not just our bones, of course, so many other systems, but that's just the one that we were talking about today. Um, so if you're listening to this, don't, don't sit in that place that I did for so long, knowing this information. Change something. Sort this out. You only get one body the body that you're in right now is it unless I mean I could be completely wrong and with the medical science going the way it is for all I know in 20 years time you might be able to computer generate another body so I could be lying but present day truth is that you only get one body and you have to look after this body and you mustn't please don't allow your fear of changing, your fear of recovery, your fear of weight gain, all of these fears, 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 holding you in stagnancy and keeping you in malnutrition. Because as Dr. Gaudiani said just then, every day in malnutrition hurts your body. This stuff is important. Get the support that you need, get the help that you need, and make changes right now. In the words of Elvis, a little less conversation, a little more action. You're listening to podcasts on recovery. That's great. A little less conversation, a little more action. Take the action that you need in order to get better. Thank you for listening, folks. And you can contact me. My email is info at tabithafra.com. Or you can tweet at me. My Twitter handle is at love underscore fat underscore. I'm going to leave all of the contact information and website information for Dr. Gaudiani in the show notes to this episode. So do look her up. You know, on her website, she's got lots of really fabulous one minute videos. So if you're a bit like me and you can't watch any YouTube videos that are longer than three minutes, these one minute videos will be right up your street. Quick snippets of information in less than 60 seconds. 
Cheers and until next time, cheerio.